Amen. Amen. Come on, it's good. I know some of you are here for church. I hope most of you are. Some of you are here because you want a $100 Amazon gift card. Come on, tell the truth. We have been having some fun. Did you, have you guys been following these posts online? They, they are hilarious. You, you, you guys missed, they missed some, some, uh, some calls to marketing, I think, Jamal. Missed some calls. So if you, if you weren't here, there's a, a slide that's going to pop up just so you can appreciate it. Somebody found this picture of Trent Dilfer and said, I didn't know Pastor Fred became a football coach. So we said, give your best caption, and if you put a caption and posted it online, then you'd get entered for a $100 Visa gift card. I said I was going to do some honorable mentions, but there were, just, there were too many that were hilarious. So if I pick one, then I'm leaving out too many. So I'm just going to have Jamal's going to help me. He's just going to pull one out of here. I'm not going to do it myself anymore because the last time I pulled a ticket, I pulled my own son's name out. It's like, that's a, that's, that's a little suspect, isn't it? All right. So now we're going to put all the responsibility on Jamal. Yeah. Takara. Yay! Is Takara in here? She's, she's working in Kid Life? All right. Come on. So good. So good. Again, if you have not seen those, you should go read them. They are, they are hilarious. And somebody said, I can't remember who it was, because we like to come in costume the, the weekend of Halloween. We do some fun stuff here. Somebody said, Fred, you've got your, this is who you've got to be, right? I'm coming. And was that you, Anthony, said that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm coming as Trent Dilfer. Or maybe Trent Dilfer's going to be Pastor Fred. Who knows? Who knows? That's so good. Hey, did you know that it is Hispanic Heritage Month? I know, come on. September 15th to October 15th. I'm mentioning that because part of the series, right, we're talking about let's, let's not just go to heaven, let's get ready for heaven. Let's get ready for heaven. Dude, heaven is going to be the most diverse place in the universe. Did you know that? Every nation, tribe, and tongue, the Bible says. And, and it's not as though God's going to pocket us into our own little neighborhoods. We're, we're all going to be there together. We're all going to be there together. So I hope, we're going to keep mentioning these all throughout the year, because I hope they inspire you to learn something about an ethnicity that maybe you did not know. I learned three things just this week about the Latin community. One is that the Latin ethnicity is the second oldest ethnicity in America Second only to Native Americans. Did you know that? I did not know that. This one is also, they are the most highly decorated minority in every war that America has ever fought in. Isn't that great? Did you know that? I did not know that. So good. And then the third one is that there were 10,000 unnamed Latin patriots that helped us bring home the victory in the American Revolution. I did not know that either. And so I thought those, I just, so I hope you're doing something. You with me? To learn about people that don't look like you. Learn about people that don't look like you. Hispanic Heritage Month. And if you have never had a Puerto Rican espresso made with steamed milk on a stovetop, you have not lived. I'm telling you. They also, did you, you might not know this, they take a little craft American cheese in the plastic wrapper, they drop it in the saucepan with the milk to make the coffee a little extra. Did you know? I know. See? You might think that would be disgusting. I'm telling you, it'll change your life. Change your life. Hashtag Bustello. Hashtag Bustello. All right. I know. See? The way. The way. We're in this series, the Shalom series. This is 
week three. The first two weeks were introductory, so I'm not going to do a ton of review for that. You can go back and watch that online. I, I will give you a little bit, but one of the, somebody came up to me after the service last week and said, did you know this, this phrase, the way, was in the, the series, The Mandalorian? I was like, I watched The Mandalorian. I don't remember that, but that's part of being old. And, uh, and, I, and then I said, well, Jesus came up with it first, just for the record, just, just for the record. The Mandalorian borrowed it from Jesus. So maybe there's a few Easter eggs in the sermon slots tonight, just saying. Just saying. If you don't know what an Easter egg is, then they're not for you. They're not for you. You can sit with the young people. They'll explain it to you. First century people who profess faith in Jesus as the Messiah were identified by names that placed a greater emphasis on becoming like Jesus, not just believing in Jesus. I'm reading that every week. First century people who profess faith in Jesus as the Messiah were identified by names that placed a greater emphasis on becoming like Jesus and not just believing in him. This is one of the things we want City Life to be. We want City Life to be a place where people learn how to pattern their lives after Jesus. We don't want to just follow him to heaven. That's important, but we want to be like him. So here we have this discipleship strategy that we are introducing to you. We're not introducing these to you because many of them are familiar because we've done a sermon series. Practices Practice has been part of our church for years now. If you're new and you don't have one, you can get one of those little green books. They're free for you. But this series is teaching you about now how all of them are going to fit together what we're going to call the way. The way. Praxis is the way of Jesus' character. Doxa is the way of Jesus' belief. We did that series earlier this year. Shema is the way of Jesus' obedience. We did that series earlier this year. And right now we're in the series Shalom, the way of Jesus' peace. The way of Jesus' peace. You've got to find your reason why that's going to motivate you to become like Christ. You've got to find your reason why. I've been sharing some of my reasons in the introduction of this series. I know I opened the series by talking about there's a judgment that's waiting for us, right? The Bible talks about there's a, we're going to have to give an account for our lives. Last week, I shared four others. The Bible talks about there being rewards. The Bible tells us that when we become like Christ, we point the rest of the world to Jesus. Evangelism isn't just through words that we speak, right, but the life that we live, we talked about how the Bible says that becoming like Christ is our best life, John 10, 10. We talked about how in Ephesians, Paul talks about how we can create a feeling of pleasure in God's heart. I got Steve's permission to share this. Steve Ruggiero, we were having lunch on Friday over at Jason's Deli in, in, in Hampton. Love me some corned beef and pastrami. And we were talking about this series. We've been, we've been dreaming and talking about discipleship models for about 10 years now together. And, and, and I was sharing with him, he was asking me, he was saying, Fred, why do you think this idea of, of judgment is, is such a driving motivation for you? The idea that there's going to be a conversation that's, that's waiting for you. What, why, why, what's the motivation there? And so I was kind of reflecting on that, and, and I was talking with him about, you know, when I read the Gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I find that the majority of Jesus' parables and most of Jesus' teachings where he's talking about expectation, he concludes with this point or this idea that we're going to have to give an account. Think about all of his parables that are themed with the master, the one that we're going to be d- digging deeper into tonight that's helped a springboard for us for this, this whole series of, of Shalom, but we're going to teach you this idea of the portion principle and the parable of the talents. They all end with the master coming back and the servants having to give an account. Right? It's just all throughout the Gospels. 
And so, so then we kind of happened onto this question of, is frequency in Jesus' teaching necessarily supposed to translate to emphasis? I was like, wow, that's a, I don't know, that's a good question. I'll take another bite of my sandwich and chew on that a minute. Because we don't do that with money, right? This was one of the things that we, we realized. You know, we talk about money a couple of times a year here, and whenever we talk about money and giving, we, we, we remind you, Jesus talked about money more than he talked about anything else. There are more verses in the New Testament about money and stewardship and material possessions than anything else. There's more than twice the number of verses on money than there are about faith and prayer. But we don't follow that pattern, do we? In fact, I would say to you, I wouldn't go to a church that talked about money as much as Jesus did, right? Some of you probably left churches because they talked about money as much as Jesus is dead. And, and, and it got us thinking, right? We're having this conversation that, that, that maybe frequency doesn't translate to emphasis. So I, I looked at Steve. I, I'm telling, I don't know the answer to that question. I'm just sharing with you. And I looked at Steve and I said, what, what's, what's yours? When you think about your driving motivation for why you want to become like Christ. And, and, and he tears up and he says, it's wholeness, Fred. It's wholeness. He said, when I think about how broken my life was years ago when I came to Christ, he said, when I made a vow of devotion to Christ, my life felt whole. I felt complete for the first time in my life. It was powerful, right? We're sitting there tearing up over our sandwiches. The place was packed by now. We get there at 1130, no one else is there. And then by the time we're into our lunch, right, the whole world shows up at Jason's Deli. The people are probably looking over and go, I don't know what those guys are eating, but it must be really good. <laughs> and he said, Fred, I know that throughout my life as a devoted follower of Christ, the, the more I become like him, the more whole I feel on the inside. That's good, isn't it? I'm sharing all that with you to say, you got to find your reason why. I, again, I think for me, I don't know what it is. There's something about this idea of knowing that when I die and I wake up in heaven, I'm going to stand before Jesus and give an account for, for my life. For me, that's, that's a driving motivation for me. For Steve, it's this, this idea that the, the more I become like him, the more whole I feel. You've got to find your reason why. And I hope that in this series, the Holy Spirit is going to do that in you. He's going to give you your reason. And it might be different than mine. It might be different than Steve's. That's okay. As long as it's in here, what is it that's going to light a fire under you to become like him, like our Savior? Find your reason why. This series, Shalom, are you at peace with God? Are you at peace with yourself? Are you at peace with others? And are you at peace with creation? Those are the four questions that we're going to be digging around in together over the next few weeks. The text that we are, or two, that we're working out of primarily, I'm going to read it in, in just a few minutes, but in Matthew 25, I'm going to read all of 14 to 30. It's a chunk, but I want to read it because it's a powerful parable because I believe it gives us this idea of what I'm calling the portion principle. And the other is Genesis 1, 1 to 31. Now, I'm not going to read all of that for the sake of time, but if you've never read the creation story, I, I'm going to ask that you do that this weekend. Genesis 1, 1 to 30. One, these two texts give us this idea of peace with your portion. Because in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, we recognize that the master, 
right, is symbolic of Jesus. And then we realize that there are three people in the parable as we're reading, meaning that we're living in community with one another. We're not just living alone and isolated. So you're supposed to identify with one of the servants in the parable. And part of identifying with one of the servants is that you have to, you're working and living and relating to other people. Right, so are you at peace with yourself? Are you at peace with others? And then we see that, that the master, Jesus, sends them into the world to do some things for him. And, and that's what we're focusing on for creation, that God's created you for good works. We find that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Are you at peace with God, yourself, others, and creation? Now, we've said, and I'm going to keep saying it, this series is not going to be an exhaustive study on shalom. That's a lifetime of understanding. The biblical concept of shalom is so big and so deep, we're never going to get it all. But you've got to start somewhere. And I feel like starting for peace, when you find some sense of peace, when you find some sense of contentment, it's finding a place of contentment with the portion that God has assigned to you. In the story of creation, who do we find? We find God. We find people, right? You're supposed to identify with one or the other, Adam or Eve. So you are there, and then you are with others. Peace with God, peace with yourself, peace with others, and then peace with creation. They had jobs that they were given. Even before the fall, they had responsibility, as you read the story. And you know what? When we study the life of Jesus, we find that Jesus was at peace with all of these. He was at peace. He was at peace with the sovereignty of God. It's fascinating, isn't it, that even though Jesus is divine, you see him saying, quoting him, he says, I only say what I hear the Father saying. I only do what I see the Father doing. You, Jesus presents himself in this place of perfect submission to the Father. As Jesus, Pastor Justin's going to preach that message about the sovereignty of God. Are we at peace with the idea that he is the portion giver? Because he decides the portion that you receive. You have to embrace his sovereignty. Jesus was at peace with the sovereignty of God. We see that Jesus was at peace with himself. People were always trying to tell Jesus who he was supposed to be and what he was supposed to do. Right? Jesus' identity had to be strong enough to resist the expectations that other people had. He had to be comfortable with who God made him to be. He was at perfect peace with himself. That's what we're going to be focusing on tonight, specifically what I'm calling the unchangeables. Things about you that you didn't have a say in. Because Jesus had some of those too. You have to embrace diversity. This is this idea of peace with others. We're going to be preaching that message in this series. Jesus was perfectly comfortable with people that were different than he was and people who were the same as he was. And embrace with your chores. I'm using that word because that's what I grew up doing. You got jobs to do in the kingdom. You got jobs to do. Jesus had work to do while he was here. And he was at peace with the work that God had put into his hands. You will never be at peace with yourself until you are ready to embrace your portion of unchangeables. Peace with yourself. You will never be at peace with yourself until you are ready to embrace your portion of unchangeables. All right, so let's read the parable and then we're, then we're going to jump in. Matthew 25 14 to 30. Again, it's a chunk, so stay with me. Matthew 25, 14 to 30. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants. He had trusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last. Dividing it in proportion to their abilities, he then left on his trip. 
The servant who received the five bags began to invest the money and earn five more bags. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. And after a long time, the master returned from his trip and called them to give an account for how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. This is what, right? This phrase has been popularized in Christianity. Here it is. You have been faithful in handling the small amount, so now I will give you even more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I've earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. But the servant with one bag of silver, poor fella, came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate, and I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. Now, this is another sermon for another time. But false narratives that we have bought into about God, do not excuse our rebellion. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, if you knew, right? This phrase is important because the master's saying that's not who, but if that's what you believed, if you knew I harvested crops that I didn't plant and gather crops that I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one that has 10 bags of silver and to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a hard ending, isn't it? Now, this parable is a treasure trove of all kinds of truth for us as devoted followers of Christ. But I believe one of them is this idea of the portion principle. Meaning, that you and I in this life have been given certain things, certain aspects of our life that we had no control over. That we are the servants. Jesus comes and he apportions to us certain things and we don't have any say over them. And then, even though we don't have any say, we're expected to go live our lives for him with all of these things that he has given to us. The master gave each portion a different, gave each servant a different portion. The portions were not negotiable. The servants were accountable for tasks they did not choose. And again, I believe the bags of silver are a prophetic picture of unchangeables. What are the unchangeables of your life? I've been thinking a lot about this over the last several weeks, and I'm, I'm struck by how long the list became. If you're watching online, you should, you should, in the chat, put what some of the unchangeables are for you. I, I made a list here. I hope that you're going to end up making a list. As I'm adding more to your homework. People are like, I don't want to go to that church anymore. It gives me too much homework. Your time in history. You didn't get to pick what time in history you were born. It's an unchangeable. You, you, you did not pick the time in history that God gave you life. It's an unchangeable. Your family of origin, the family that you were born into, it's an unchangeable. Your ethnicity, your personality, your spiritual gifts, your natural abilities, your comparative experience. I'm going to talk about that in a few minutes. 
your intellectual capacity. It is no secret my intellectual capacity is far less than Nathaniel Miller's. You tracking with me? Right? All of us don't have the same intellectual capacity. Claire asked me to read a paper that she had to write for her philosophy, philosophy class. I can't even say the word. It was on Friday. It was like half a page long. She says, what do you think? I said, I think it's great. I don't understand any of what it means, but this sounds wonderful. Not all of us have the same intellectual capacity. We just don't. How about fertility? It's a tough topic, isn't it? If you're not picking that for yourself, providence, things that, that God is doing at work in our lives that we have no control. How about time itself? We don't have control over time. We, we have control over what we do with the time we've been given, but we cannot change time itself. It's an unchangeable. Physical death. How about body shape and size? This <laughs> is laughing over there. Oh, it's great. It's not supposed to be funny, honey. It's oh, great. Body shape and size. I, I feel like part of this message is there are people in this church, people watching online, who struggle with self-loathing and self-hate because you despise things about yourself that God gave to you. And you, and you wish he had given it to you a different way. Right? This is part, especially American culture, that is so destructive. They have created this false narrative about what pretty is and what beautiful is and what normal is that is a lie. It is wrong. I was watching a news program this morning. Did, did you know that there have been studies done, scientific fact that for teenage girls, the amount of time they spend on social media, especially Instagram, correlates directly to depression and self-harm? Did you know that? If you've got teenagers in your home and you are not, don't have a hard rule over how much time they spend on social media, you are not doing a good job of parenting. You're not. If you've not seen the, the Netflix uh, uh, documentary, The Social Dilemma, you, you need, if you are a parent, you better watch that. You better watch that. There, there is an, an idea of image that's being projected onto the next generation that is tearing them apart. Genetic conditions, right? This, right? It's a list, isn't it? It's a list. You think about these things. When you were born into this world, God did not give you a menu to pick from. He put it on, he put it on us, gave it to us, created us in it. it is, it's our portion. And then he says, this is yours. And for many of them, he's saying, this is who you are. It's powerful, isn't it? How many things on that list at some point in your life have you struggled with? How many things on that, 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 that list have not been a source of peace for you, but have been a source of consternation, even though you had no control over them? Let me give you three more that I'm going to read together. We're, we're going to do a message on this, I believe, next year because it's such at the forefront of culture. And church should not be behind culture. Church should be, come on, on the bleeding edge. Sex, gender, and sexuality. Sex, gender, and sexuality. I'm not saying these comments to be hurtful or harmful or, or insensitive. I'm going to share about that in just a minute because the church has a terrible reputation that's unfortunately well-earned. And it shouldn't be. Each of these three have a very distinct definition that I agree with. 
Sex is talking about your biology. It's your physical body, your sex organs, your body chemistry. You're, you're born with a specific sex, your biological makeup. Are there exceptions to that? Sure there are. But those are rarities. 99.9% of every human being that's ever been born, who has ever been born, has an undeniable sex that's assigned to them by the Creator, because God gives that to them. Gender is your sense of male or female. It's a, it's a different definition. It's a different exploration, and I agree with that. Sexuality is yet another definition still. Even though sometimes people use these interchangeably, they are not interchangeable. They have specific definitions. Sexuality is how you pursue and experience sexual intimacy and sexual pleasure. Now, this is what the world has done, which I vehemently disagree with. Just because each of these three words has an individual definition, it doesn't mean that they're supposed to be understood independently of one another. Because that's what the world is telling us. What the Bible tells us is that yes, these each have their own definition, but it is a linear progression of understanding that we see that we're supposed to have. Meaning that when I am born, I am assigned a sex by God based on my body, my biology, my body chemistry, and that that sex that God gives to us is supposed to reveal to us our gender. Our sex gives us our gender. We're supposed to draw our sense of male or female from our sex. And then our sex reveals our gender, which reveals our sexuality. You tracking with me? It's a linear progression. That's a biblical worldview. It's very different from the world is teaching. If you step outside of that, I would suggest to you humbly that it is idolatry. And most sin is idolatry. The nature of idolatry is saying, I don't want to be the created, I want to be the creator. That, that's why false worship is called idolatry, because they would make something. The, 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 the Hebrew word for image was what was used to say when they would make little statues or things that they would worship. Did you know it's the exact same word that's used in the Hebrew in the creation story to talk about us bearing the image of God? It's the same thing. Part of the human condition that makes us sinful is that we say to God, I don't want to be your created. I want to be my own creator. And that's an affront to his sovereignty and is outside the order of the universe as God created it. So when I say to God, I want to choose a different sex than the one that you gave to me. I want to choose a different gender than the one that you gave to me. I want to choose a different sexuality than the one you gave to me. It is me saying to God, I know better for myself than you do. The church has done a terrible job. Myself too at times. Part of the problem. We have got to stop making people feel who wrestle with these things like they're bad. Because that's not right. Any struggle that we have when we come to the church, we should find people who are loving, caring, kind, but truthful, and patient, and patient. I'm reading a book now. If it turns out to be good, I hope it is. I'm about 100 pages in, and uh, on this topic, it's written by a Christ follower. Um, I'm going to recommend it. 
These are important questions the church should have the answers to, and not in a mean-spirited way. You tracking with me? Not in a mean-spirited way. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, then I'm going to jump down to verse 23. You're familiar with these verses. It says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. So good, isn't it? Pray without ceasing doesn't mean that you never stop praying. It means that prayer is something you always come back to. Pray without ceasing. And then verse 18, and everything give thanks. Everything give thanks. He doesn't say some things, the positive things, the good things, the things we like. He says, and everything give thanks. And listen to what he says. He brings it home hard. He says, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. If you were a devoted follower of Christ, he's saying in everything about your life, you've got to end up in a place of thankfulness. Now that's a hard saying, is it not? He does not give exception. And listen to where he ends up in 23. I've not seen this before. I was studying this week. It's so good. It says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. It's interesting that Paul slips in here, the idea of peace and shalom. I think Paul's trying to teach us something here. I think he's saying there's a connection between peace and embracing and finding contentment in everything about our lives, especially the unchangeables. Are you willing to be thankful for every portion the master has assigned to you? I don't know if I'm ready to do it yet. I'm just being honest with you. But I know i got to get there. Are you willing to be thankful for every portion the master has assigned to you? And I believe, and this is something I've been doing this week that I hope you're going to learn to begin to do. And and I'm not saying I have all the answers, but I think this is the path to this idea of self-acceptance is this is where we've got to start. I'm calling it the Genesis lens. See, the other text that I've been studying and drawing from is Genesis 1, 1 to 31. Genesis 1, 1 to 31. It is the creation story. And these are five observations that I'm making about the creation story and everything that God made. There is a purpose in everything that he created. Everything in the creation story has a purpose. There is beauty in everything that he created. And I want to say this to you. It's not beautiful just because it has a purpose. It's beautiful because he made it. It's beautiful because he created it. There is value in everything he created. There is value in everything he created. Why? Because God made it. Because he breathed it into existence. There is variety in everything he created. He created this world with incredible diversity. And there is order in everything he created. There is order in everything he created in the sense that he created everything with a sense of interdependence. That's one of the differences between order and chaos is that when it's functioning in an orderly way, that all of the things that he created are finding this rhythm with one another. That's what Paul draws on when he's talking about 1 Corinthians 12 and the gifts of the Spirit, interdependence. So this is what I'm challenging you to do because I've been doing it this week. Take that list of unchangeables. These notes are always online every week. You can download it as a PDF from the website. If, if not, if you don't like my list, make your own list. Just do, do it, maybe as an exercise, as a husband and wife or as a family. Just start making a list of everything about your life that you would say, God just 
Put that in my life. I didn't, I didn't have any control over it. Make that list. Then circle the ones that you have questions about. Circle the ones that you've been struggling with. Circle the ones that maybe if you're going to be honest, you would say, I resent that. It might be that the family that you were born into and the, and the, and the, and the struggle that you had in that family, you would circle that and say, I'm, I'm a little angry at God, to be honest, that he would put me in that family when he could have put me anywhere. You with me? It's real stuff. Circle the ones that you have questions about. This idea of comparative experience, right? Because some of the things that you might put on your list might be bad things that have happened to you. I'm not saying that there is beauty in bad things. I'm not saying that. But I do believe that there is beauty in the human experience of the comparative experience. If you don't know what I mean when I'm talking about that, then you can listen to the Nicodemus message this summer when I talked about the story. But this is one of the foundational beliefs of us here at City Life. One of the reasons we believe that God created mankind in this world outside of heaven is that he's trying to give us the gift of a comparative experience because we know from the Bible that there was a rebellion at some point in heaven where a third of the angels were cast out. That's where the devil, that's where Lucifer has his origins. And part of God's design on us is to create us in this world so that we have a comparative experience so that when we finally get to heaven through Christ, that we're never going to want anything other than that because we're going to remember what it's like to have been here. So I do believe that the comparative experience completely, all the bad things that happen to us, they are evil. Oftentimes they are ugly and tragic. But what it gives to me is something that's beautiful by way of a comparative experience. Again, I believe that for people here, that what you're learning tonight, for some of you, it's going to be the beginning of a breakthrough for you from self-loathing. You're going to be free from it or begin your journey. Your, your list, I'm going to keep saying this, I say it often, it might be that your list is so complicated you, that you're going to need to spend time with a professional therapist to help you sort through some of these things. That's, that's one of the gifts that therapists are to our world. I just picked personality, you can pick any of these, but the, these, are, these are the prayers that I'm going to invite you to pray over the things that you circled. God, help me to see the purpose in my personality. Help me to see the beauty in my personality. Help me to see the value in my personality. Help me to see the variety in my personality. Help me to see the order in my personality. The idea that how God made you with your personality is specific so that you can be connected with other people in this world to do the things that God has created you to do. When you put body shape in there, right? You tracking with me? Put things on this list and begin to ask God, look at them through the creative lens of Genesis. Because at the end of the day, you and I are going to have to come to a place of acceptance to the unchangeables that in the sovereignty of God that he chose to make a part of our lives. For so many of us, we've grown up in a church world, in a church life, where everything that we view as being good that we would choose as, 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 as being something I'm okay with God having given to me. And then everything that we would put in the negative bucket we say, well, that's, that's just a result of being in a fallen world, right? I, at, at best, that's an oversimplification. At worst, it's dangerous. And at worst, it's dangerous because I think there's a lot of things that people put into that bucket that God intended to be a part of our lives because, because it makes us who we are. It makes us unique. It's part of what puts us in this world 
And it's part of what reflects the Imago Dei that he has hidden in us that he has not hidden in any other person. Is, I'm just saying, is it possible that you've put some things into the bucket of fallen world that God was saying, no, 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 no. These are things that I put in you that you're supposed to see as lovely and that you've bought into a false narrative that secular society has given to you and you've been seeing yourself through a secular lens that's caused you to despise some things that when he looks at us, he says, that's part of what makes you lovely. Sovereignty of God. He is the portion giver. And part of his portion are the unchangeables of my life. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. This is Genesis 1, 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Let us make human beings in our image. Is it possible? This is the question I'm asking. Is it possible that as Christians, we are trying to change things about ourselves that are supposed to be a part of our Imago Dei? Are we trying to change things about ourselves that are supposed to be part of our Imago Dei. Let me read this other chunk of text. These are 12 verses out of Isaiah 53. This is a powerful chapter in the Bible. It's a prophetic foretelling of the coming of Christ. It says, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? Listen to what it says about Jesus and how Jesus would come into this world, some of his unchangeables. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. It's powerful, isn't it? He's the creator of the universe, fully divine, Jesus himself. But yet God chose a body image for him that the world would say is not pretty. It's interesting, isn't it? It says nothing to attract us to him. It says he was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised, and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sin. Are you seeing it here? Isaiah is saying, prophesying about the coming of Christ. Even how people viewed Jesus, they viewed him all wrong. And oftentimes, this is how we view our own lives and our own journey. Seeing things as a punishment from God when God's saying, no, 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 this is part of your journey, part of your purpose. It's part of the beauty of your existence. Listen to verse 5. It says, but he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. And all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own, right? This idea of the way. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away, and no one cared that he died without descendants. That his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. Wow! There's a lot of unchangeables in here that Jesus had to come to grips with. 
He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause his grief. And yet when his life was made an offering for sin, come on, this is the gospel, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. And I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels and he bore the sins of many and interceded for us. Stand with me. Jesus. Jesus says we're swimming in the deep end of the pool tonight, thinking about our unchangeables, having a sense of peace with the portion that you've assigned to us that maybe that we would have preferred not be, not just not assigned to us, but not assigned to anyone. Could, could it be Jesus, as we just read about you, that this is part of what it means to become like you? That there are parts of our lives that we might not choose for ourselves, but it's part of what you chose for us, just as the Father chose some things for you. Jesus, I pray that even tonight as we stand in this room, as people are going to worship in this song together, watching from on home, that there are going to be people right now that begin to feel that they're being set free from self-hate and from self-loathing. Things about themselves, things about their personality, things about their mind, things about their physical body that, that they have put a, a, a label on as, as, as ugly and bad. And Father, I pray you're just, you're just going to tear that label right off. You're just going to tear it right off. I pray that you would help us to begin to see ourselves through that Genesis lens, purposeful, unique, beautiful, lovely, value, ordered, interdependent. You postured us in this world to be in a community. And how you made us helps us find our place. Help us, God. People that are on this road who are struggling with their unchangeables, help them to find in us the body of Christ, not a stiff arm and an angry look, but a, but a welcoming wave that says, come on, let's figure it out together. Let's figure it out together. In Jesus' name, come on. Everybody said amen. Let's worship together.